Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 13 of Genesis chapter 9. We're going to be reading beginning in verse 21 through verse 27. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be Jehovah God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Well, uh, we discussed last time the significance of seeing their father's nakedness and how God makes a point of commanding against that in the Bible, and it relates to going into your father's wife. And, and it could be a concubine. Sometimes men would have other wives. And uh, Reuben committed that sin. He went in to Bilhah, a concubine of his father Jacob. And as a result, he lost the right of the firstborn son. And it points to those that are involved in um, just very terrible spiritual fornication. As we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the New Testament, that it's fornication not so much as named among the Gentiles. And so we saw how that is in view in this historical context that we're reading concerning Noah when he began to be a husbandman. He planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine, became drunken, and was uncovered within his tent. So that's one aspect to it. But also we know in the Bible that nakedness, and Noah was naked, that's what it means, he was uncovered. Nakedness points to sin, to sin that is open or exposed to the eyes of God. And there's that verse in Hebrews, which I made reference to last time, but this time I'm going to read in Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 13, it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And have to do is literally give account. God sees sin. Man must give account in the day of judgment for the things that God sees. 
And so sin is open and exposed to God, and therefore man's physical nakedness is a good picture, it's a good illustration of God seeing everything. You know, if someone doesn't have clothes on, then you can see everything concerning his body. That's why in the Bible, physical nakedness, it could even be uh, bare feet or bare head, but any part of the body that is physically naked can picture one's sins that are open to the eyes of God. God can see the sin. And, of course, we know that God sees far more than outward external sin that people do or that people say. God looks upon the heart. And back there in Hebrews 4, in the verse before, it spoke of the word of God being a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows the deep down sins that are flowing forth out of man's spiritually dead heart. That is the nakedness of man before God. And so nakedness typifies man's sinful condition. And because God sees his sins, God must punish them. He must pour out his wrath upon them. And that's why the covering of sin typifies salvation or deliverance. Once in the Bible, when someone physically is covered, that points to spiritual covering of sin. And and just as when a person puts on clothing, you can no longer see their physical nakedness, so too when the salvation of Christ is applied to a sinner, God no longer sees their spiritual sinful condition. God doesn't see any sin whatsoever any longer because it's all been accounted for, all paid for, all in that sense removed and placed as far as the east is from the west and cast into the depths of the sea. It's it's gone from the individual. There is no sin upon them. That's the covering of the blood of Christ or of the righteousness of Christ that is placed over the sins of one of God's elect. And so when we read in the Bible, and we're going to go to a few verses now, these kinds of verses, it's really a statement based on this picture that is found throughout the Bible. We, We saw it in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were naked in the beginning when they were sinless. It was not a problem. Once they sin, they realize their physical nakedness, and they tried to cover themselves, which points to man's constant effort to develop a religion or develop a gospel to do some work of his own in order to cover that sin that he intuitively knows deep down within that God sees. So that's what man has done for thousands of years. But there's only one true covering, 
or one actual covering for sin, and it depends upon the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the foundation of the world in which he made payment and atoned for those sins. And God, in time, after predestinating these individuals and having their sins cast upon Christ at the foundation of the world, in time, in history, God found them through his word and through his word applied that salvation, saving them and thus covering their sin. And so it says in Psalm 32, verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. We see the equivalency. The first part of the verse is saying the same thing as the second part of the verse. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, which is the same thing as saying whose sin is covered. If your sin is covered, your transgression is forgiven. You've you've found, by God's grace, forgiveness of sins. They'll be mentioned no more, nor come into mind, into God's mind. They're gone forever. Or in Psalm 85, it says in verse 2, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. You see how the the Hebrew parallelism is in evidence. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. The first part of the verse is repeated, just rephrased, reworded a little bit concerning the covering of sin in the second part, but it's saying the identical thing. In Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 6, it says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Now, Isaiah 58 really is a chapter that is focused on the gospel declaration of the New Testament, but of course the gospel of grace had application all throughout history. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and and he lived thousands of years before the New Testament. The blood of Christ that was shed again before this world was even begun was available in order to provide remission of sin for all the saints of the Old Testament, because Christ had already died. And that's why it's so important that we understand that Christ died at the foundation of the world, not at at some uh, later dividing point, and it's not even a midpoint. When Christ went to the cross in 33 AD, it was after 11,000 years of history. There's only been uh, less than 2,000 years since then, and and people would have us believe that that Christ's blood was not shed until after 11,000 years of God operating in history and and dealing with the Old Testament saints and saving people like Abel and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and so forth well how did they get saved 
How did they have their sins forgiven? How did they receive remission of sins? Because Hebrews 9 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And it's not talking about the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats, because the next chapter in Hebrews tells us that's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's never taken away sin. There's only one blood, the blood of the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, that could take away sin. And that's what remission of sins means. It's not me, but the Bible that says it's an impossibility to take away sin without the shedding of blood. And therefore, it is absolutely required and necessary that the blood of Christ first be shed, and then you can have remission of sins that we read about during that 11,000 years of the Old Testament. 7,000 that did not bow the knee to the image of Baal. That was in the Old Testament. The men of Nineveh were um, were saved, and, and that was tremendous numbers, especially for the Old Testament. How did they get saved? Well, uh, they, it was all in principle, you see, is what theologians say. It's, it's what people who stubbornly um, insist that the gospel must be according to their understanding rather than what the Bible says. And they say it's all in principle because with God, if God has willed something and determined to do something as he determined to send Christ in 33 AD, then God could act in, in good faith and save all these people according to the blood that would would future tense be shed in 33 AD? Uh, no, no, no. That That's all uh, theological double talk. It, it, it's all uh, individuals that are saying things the Bible doesn't say. They're, they're insisting upon something that the Bible will not allow without, this is what the Bible does say, without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sin. You have to have first things first. And and so the Bible tells us Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. And uh, I still haven't heard anyone uh, even begin to adequately explain how you can have finished works in principle. A work is an action. It's a deed. It's something which is done. You you cannot finish the work at the foundation of the world in principle. That, that makes no sense at all. And yet, when Christ died actively, he literally died and I don't know how that's possible because I don't understand eternity past and and the mystery of the Godhead. But when God slew God at the foundation of the world and he was bearing the sins of his people and he paid the penalty for those sins, 
and shed his blood by giving his life and then rose from the dead, declared to be the Son of God, well, those are works. Those are the works of the Lord Jesus Christ that were finished. And it all happened before the world was. And, and well, uh, sort of getting sidetracked, but that is an extremely important doctrine to get right. And, you know, the more we learn, the more we go on, it, it, it the clearer it is. And, yes, in the beginning, uh, I also uh, didn't understand completely, and many people struggled with it. But as we've gone on, well, it's just uh, all kinds of, uh, scriptures and all kinds of doctrines depend on this doctrine that Christ did indeed die before this world was even started. Okay, uh, let's also go to Ezekiel chapter 18. Oh, oh, uh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't read verse 7 in Isaiah 58, I only read verse 6. Okay, going back to Isaiah 58, verse 7. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? And these are all um, synonyms for sharing the gospel, to deal your bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. You, you see that uh, important biblical principle. When you see the naked... You cover him. And what is covering? Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose iniquity is covered. You you see the spiritual nakedness, the uh, sinful condition of man, and you bring the gospel. You bring the gospel in the day of salvation. It doesn't do any good to bring the gospel when it's out of season, that is, when when the time period uh, in which God is determined to save has elapsed, it's come to an end. Remember, Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. And uh, Zephaniah told us, Before the decree come to pass, over and over again in Zephaniah 2, Before the day passes the chaff, and so forth. So there is a time and a season. As with everything, it, it, you know, people act surprised and shocked and, oh, oh my, it, uh, it's judgment day and there's no more salvation and, and they act as if it's always time, it's always the season for salvation. And that's never been true. God has had various periods, eras, and times and seasons, and in between times and seasons, there's been famine, 2300 evening mornings, for instance, between the end of the church age and before the start of the latter rain. And God works according to timetables. There's timetables for everything, seasons for everything, as Ecclesiastes tells us, to everything there's a season. It, it's naive and foolish to think that what season 
is present, and we were in the time of the latter rain, and and that was within the day of salvation, it, it would be just not very wise at all to think that because we're in a certain season at a certain time, it must always remain so. You know, that's the problem with people who remain in the churches and congregations. They didn't realize there was a time for first fruit and early rain, the season of the church age. It it was certainly a long time, and it, it's almost understandable because it was so long, 1955 years, but we could say that about Israel as well. Israel had the season in which they were to bring forth the fruit of the Messiah. And and they lasted also for around 2,000 years. But the season of the early righteous reign, which produced the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross, had its end. The season of early reign and first fruits, the 144,000 saved out of the churches and congregations of the world, had its time period, 1955 years, but it came to an end. And then there was a season, uh, a little season of great tribulation in which the latter rain fell. It's, uh, again, unwise to think that as some are thinking, and really they they just don't want to consider the alternatives, so they insist it must be the Great Tribulation. We still must have this season. And again, you know, it's never good to dictate to God. It's never uh, the proper thing to do for a child of God to insist upon God that there must be this season still. God is in control. He is the determiner of times and seasons. He begins them, he ends them, and he will start another one and end another one. And now he has brought to pass Judgment Day, and Judgment Day comes after the last season, after the last rain. The latter rain is called the latter rain because it's the last one. There are no more seasons for fruit There are no more periods of rain to come after the latter rain, after the great multitude is saved out of great tribulation. There is only Judgment Day. Now we're learning about Judgment Day and and all uh, that that entails concerning a time of severe trial for God's elect and making an appearance before the judgment seat of Christ. There is much to learn concerning God's program of the final judgment of the world and how his elect are uh, involved with it. But, uh, of course, if if people uh, stubbornly and pridefully and, and, and fearfully insist, no, 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 we, we don't want to look at that. We just want to continue the little season of great tribulation we want the latter rain to continue because we want salvation to continue on. Well, so do I, or so would I, like salvation 
to continue on. So would all of God's people like salvation to continue on. But the thing that differentiates the child of God from the unsaved is that more than our desires, we desire the will of God be done. No matter how difficult, how hard, how sorrowful it might be, we desire truth and that God's perfect will be done. And we don't want to fight against it or kick against the pricks or uh, insist upon our own way and our, our own agenda, our own program of salvation. Uh, what What's the good of that anyway? If God has ended salvation, and he has, that's what the whole worldwide proclamation of May 21, 2011 was about, then then what good does it do to basically deceive ourselves and and deceive others into saying, well, uh, God's still saving, when everything in the Bible uh, points against that? Uh, well, okay, we, we see here again that covering the naked, covering the naked, um, when you see the naked, you cover him, and that is what Ham failed to do. He saw the nakedness of his father, and did he did he go uh, get a garment or get a blanket and and walk backwards very respectfully and honorably to his father to cover him? No. It says in Genesis nine twenty two, and Ham the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told us two brethren without. He took no action. He did not cover Noah's nakedness, and therefore that's a violation. That's a violation of the law of God. When you see the naked, you cover him. It's like when you see the hungry, you give them bread. You share the gospel in its proper season, of course, which provides the covering over sin. But again, that's why Ham is not the one that receives the curse. It's Canaan, his son, because Ham, as we mentioned before, identifies with Babylon and with Assyria and with Egypt, with the nations of the world that do not have that responsibility before God. But it was the people of God, the corporate body, the New Testament churches and congregations that had that responsibility to cover the naked, to provide salvation through a faithful declaration of the word of God. And they failed to do so. And and so Noah pronounces the curse against Canaan. Canaan is tied to the church because he is the progenitor of the nations of the land of Canaan, and the land of Canaan identifies with the kingdom of God, just like the churches identify with the kingdom of God. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. 
For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.